and that's exactly what we're doing. And tonight I have, uh, I think, another great show for you. Uh, We're coming up on 10 years here at Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I think the archives are filled with much wisdom, uh, you know, lots of treasures there. And uh, tonight's show, uh, I guess I'm biased, but... uh, you know, the wonderful guests that come on, I think they all have uh, some wisdom to impart. And our first guest up tonight is Marcia Scarborough. Uh, she's the author of Honey in the River, Shadow, Sex, and West African Spirituality. Uh, she will discuss with us tonight her personal journey and discovery of the Orishas, uh, goddess archetypes of West Africa. Um, all while under the influence of her Babalawo, I hope I pronounced that right, we'll ask her later, uh, which is her Yoruban lover who acted as her spiritual teacher. We'll talk about her personal soap opera, I think she called it, and the growth she gleaned from that tangled relationship, as well as discuss what is IFA or IFA, IFA, and IFA, voodoo, uh, who are the feminine Orishas, the trickster, and how IFA informs our contemporary lives. Um, this is a heartfelt and candid look at how important it is to look at our own shadow. And in this case, how Marsha was willing to lie and betray other women in order to feel loved. Now, I'm used, these are her own words. I'm not making any judgment here. She is, you know, really pulling out all the stops here and laying herself bare um, in hopes to uh, explain how important it is that we, you know, we look at these, uh, you know, the shadow side of ourselves. Um, you know, she'll probably talk to us about uh, what she's learned, and uh, and that's how many women are in denial about being in abusive relationships and how sometimes they willingly take part in self-sabotaging behavior, behavior and, uh, you know, allow themselves to be exploited by others in positions of power. You know, and it's not only in love relationships we do that, you know. Um, I think uh, we do that in other types of relationships uh, sometimes, uh, as well. Then uh, second guests uh, coming up tonight after we cross the threshold into the latter half of the show. I have Phyllis Karat and Angie Buchanan with me, uh, both prominent pagan movers and shakers uh, who were involved uh, in a huge way with planning the Council for the Parliament of World Religions. Uh, they're going to give us a behind-the-scene look at uh, this incredible interfaith gathering that happened mid-October in Salt Lake City, and uh, we'll hear what's ahead for the next parliament, and we'll focus on um, uh, the Thursday a woman's plenary that uh, that happened, uh, more than likely, and uh, we'll talk to them about uh, uh, the the role that pagans are starting uh, to play at the parliament. You know, and goddess advocates. You know, people who were there representing uh, a feminine face of God. Um, but uh, before we start our first interview, I just uh, I, I have to tell you uh, about the wonderful coffee table book uh, that arrived in the mail last week from Joe Carson. Now, you might have heard Joe Carson's commercials here. Uh, I, I've, I've shared with you uh, about her uh, documentary, her film, uh, Dancing with Gaia, but now she's got something, out, uh, something else out that's pretty incredible. Uh, it's the book, 
celebrate wildness. But, you know, I finally had a chance to actually um, look at the book myself and, uh, you know, I have to say it's really impressive. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I was enthralled as I turned from one page to another with all the art of Fred Adams, uh, the the wonderful foreword by Poke Runyon, who was a master ritualist. Uh, it's an exceptional book, and I hope you'll think about it uh, when you're adding to your library or your coffee table, because I can imagine if you had that out on your coffee table, what a conversation starter that would be. So uh, I would encourage you to go to Ferraferia, uh, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org, and check out the book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Ferraferian Path. And... Um, it's been described as rapturous, uh, erotically charged, uh, and um, uh, filled with um, eros and uh, wildness. And, you know, I, I think it really is. And it's exactly the perfect sort of stuff, I think, that segues us into uh, Marcia's uh, talk tonight. And let me tell you a little bit about uh, Marcia Scarborough. Uh, she is the author of uh, Honey in the River, uh, Shadow Sex, and uh, West African Spirituality. Uh, she's also a freelance journalist, and she's had over 75 articles published uh, in national magazines, so she's a real prolific writer. Uh, I remember when her first book came out, uh, Medicine Dance, One Woman's Healing Journey into the World of Native American Sweat Lodges, Drumming Meditations and Dance Fasts, uh, and I do recall that it uh, was honored with uh, several awards. Uh, we share a publisher, so I knew uh, Marcia back then when that uh, other book came out. Um, she spent 17 years scheduling, planning, uh, and running the sets of major feature films, primetime TV series. Uh, she was an assistant director in Hollywood, and along the way, um, she traveled with uh, Buddhist teacher Joan Halifax. She's danced with movement guru Gabrielle Roth, earned a brown belt in karate from martial arts legend uh, Takuboda, participated in Native American healing ceremonies and produced workshops for a Nigerian master drummer. And in 2006, she moved from L.A. and went to Santa Fe, New Mexico. But tonight, um, something totally different. Uh, her book is going to uh, share the next phase of uh, her life uh, with us. And uh, we'll be talking about the Orishas and uh, her African lover and the shadow side and uh, all of this honey in the river, uh, shadow sex, and our West African uh, archetypes. So, Marsha, we've got a lot to talk about, girl. <laughs> yes, we do, Karen. <laughs> you and it's a pleasure you know, to be here talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you. And you know, as I'm reading your bio, I'm thinking, you know, like so many women, you know, we wear so many hats. You know, we could, we, you know, all of the different things we do in our lifetime, we, we're literally living, I think, a half a dozen different lives. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, developing the knack of reinventing ourselves, uh, the yeah. more resilient. 
Yeah, I, I think so, and uh, you know, and I think that's probably a good thing. I mean, you know, we're probably nothing like our our poor mothers, you know, who were you know trapped in these little boxes. Um, you know, we're we're much uh, uh, we're, we're much uh, I, I think more fortunate that uh, you know we have more opportunities to uh, try on new us. You know, new uses. <laughs> I'm not sure. And the world the is a really interesting place. <laughs> well, and there's lots well, of adventures yeah. to be had. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and you've certainly had them. Um, you know, it, it feels like you've gotten a flavor of so many different worlds. You know, the Native American world, the uh, uh, you know the Buddhist world, and now. Uh, uh, you know the the Orishas and uh, and you know and I'm glad we're talking about this because you know quite candidly um, you know I think maybe and I might be making the wrong assumption here but I think that most of the Yoruban goddesses um, uh, you know maybe a lot of people who you know or you know who are uh, maybe dark skinned or black or have a- uh, African ancestry you know maybe they're drawn to them. Uh, more quickly um, than those of us who are white, and even as I say that, I realize what a, uh, you know, maybe what a, an error that is, because I'm sitting here looking at my ISIS statue, and, um, you know, I guess some people might say, um, you know, some of the Egyptian goddesses were co-opted by, you know, uh, Western women, and we didn't think twice about it that, uh, you know, we were white and they were dark-skinned. But I guess the only point I'm making here in this ramble is that uh, uh, there aren't that many priestesses that I know who are into the Yoruban goddesses and into the Orishas, maybe some drummers that I know, like Lane Redman, whose music we play to open the show. Thank you, Lane. Love you. Um, that was her cut uh, called the Yamaya, one of you know some of the last work she did before she passed. But, but, it, but is that accurate, Marsha? That um, I mean, did you find that there were, um, you know, that 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 the Orishas are maybe more for people with African, um, you know, uh, dis, you know, um, ancestry um, rather rather than you know most of the goddess advocates or people in the goddess movement out there or, or no i'm like totally barking up well the wrong I, I would tree. say no my teachers were very clear that skin color and race has nothing to do with the religion that the religion uh, you know works equally for everyone and that everyone is welcome in the religion i do think that the um these west african gods and goddesses are are little known to us uh, in the West, even to African Americans, and that yeah. um, that was one of the things that interested me because it was this whole mythology and pantheon that I knew nothing about, uh, and it was yeah. quite fascinating and very sophisticated in its application. Okay. And so that's one of the things that really drew me in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know when I lived in New Orleans, we had a voodoo temple, and, you know, there were the, the ones that weren't real for the tourists, but there were the real ones as well, and, uh, you know, I visited there sometimes, and it was usually probably 80% black, you know, 20% white, um, and then, even, like I said, even when I got into goddess spirituality, I, I didn't really meet many uh, people who worked with uh, the Yoruban deities, so I'm, I'm glad to have you on tonight to uh, 
to talk more about this, and because uh, it, it's kind, of, I guess it's a fresh subject because um, you know I guess we mostly talk about the the goddesses who are uh, maybe. Um, you know, more traditionally known, you know. So, um so let's uh let let's first of all, let's go to that word IFA that I stumbled over. Um did I pronounce it correctly? Is it IFA, IFA? The way I learned to pronounce it is IFA. Okay. And and what is it? So IFA is the ancient indigenous religion of the Yoruba people of West Africa. And then it came to the Americas with the slave trade. It was, you know, brought to Cuba, Brazil, the New Orleans area, um, you know, with the Africans who were forced to come over. So the practitioners are very clear that it's not any kind of magic. It's a focused spiritual practice. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a healing technology that that uses drumming, dancing, chanting, um, to and the mythology, and sometimes herbalism to balance energies. Okay. So my um, teacher was a traditional healer. He was from Nigeria, and the uh, traditional healers are called babalao. That's like calling them a medicine man in Native America. He was also okay. a diviner as well as a master drummer, a ceremonial leader. Um, so, And I studied with him in Los Angeles and New Mexico, and I've never been to Africa. Okay, okay, I see. All right. And um, uh, the other thing that, I, I mean, two other things I know about uh, the Yoruban deities is I know when the slaves were brought here, for, uh, you know, to the Americas, you know, they were, they were you know, pressured to um, take on Christianity, you know, probably pressured under threat of death, and they ended up adopting a lot of the Christian saints. Was Did that flavor enter into at all what you were doing, or was this m- more of a pure uh, Yoruban, um, you know, take on, uh, you know, these, these Orishas? Well, my uh, you know my experience and my training with it was the the pure Yoruba uh, training. Now you see the syncretism of the saints in Brazil and in Cuba, where it was outlawed, the drums were taken away, and they you know they used you know Santa Barbara instead of Shango just to protect themselves and keep the religion alive. So, but I I studied it in the the pure Yoruba form. Okay. Um, and well, and one thing I want to make sure we chat about uh, before we finish the interview is I know when I was writing my Sacred Places book and I was uh, studying some of the um, the West African deities a bit and trying to find some sacred sites that I could associate with them, one of the most interesting and misunderstood things um, I think about um, uh, I, I, and I, I think it's part of this spirituality. You tell me, is um, you uh, people, the practitioners, uh, you know, they would, you know, work themselves into a trance, you know, with the drumming and the dance and the movement of a ritual, and they would actually invite the deities to ride them. I think they called it, and that was, um, you know, it, 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 from the outside looking in. I mean, that probably looked like crazy possession, and it could be really scary. But you know, when you 
actually study it, it was actually a much more, uh, it, it was, it, it could be a very beneficial thing. You know, the deity could import healing or wisdom or uh, needed information uh, to the to the practitioner. Was that um, at all part of um, the training that you did? Well, the drumming automatically puts you into a trance. So as soon as you're listening to drumming, you're in the trance state, and then the repetitive movement of dance, you know, takes you even deeper. Now, not everybody, but some people do are ridden by the Orishas, and that is like an embodiment of the energy of the Orishas. I, I never saw it here with the intensity that I saw it in Brazil when I was there last year, but you are definitely embodying the the energy of that specific Orisha that because each one has their own rhythm and their own songs and their own movement. Okay. So it it is like then the the energy is taken into your body. And and this uh Ifa is how is it related to say Voodoo or Santeria or Kendobel? I mean, are they all sort of similar flavors or are they all very distinct and different? There, I think there's some similar flavors there. So we don't like to call it voodoo because that's kind of a pejorative uh, misnomer mm-hmm. that came from mm-hmm. white people looking at these very sophisticated ancient spiritual systems. So mm-hmm. uh, And also that voodoo has a kind of shadowy con- connotation, like a black magic thing, um, mm-hmm. a- as do those uh, the other religions you mentioned. Um which probably came from fear felt by slave owners in the Americas when they observed how powerful these ceremonies were without any mm-hmm. explanation of what was going on. So, I mean, you'd mm-hmm. be scared, too, if you saw these physically strong Africans in your backyard who had a good reason to hate you dancing, you know, in, in deep trance. And also... Mm-hmm. Um, Christian, early Christian missionaries in Africa, I think, projected their ideas onto what they saw. But Ifa itself does not include the idea of evil or the concept of the devil. That was completely a, that's only in really in Christianity that you have the devil. So yeah, you know, I think yeah. that the practices were demonized and this sort of voodoo label put on them, uh, maybe as an intentional tactic also to to oppress a powerful culture because we saw mm-hmm. that in with Native Americans also that the, if you separate indigenous people from their spiritual traditions, you can control them more effectively. True, so true. So candomblé and, and, and I mean, uh, in Brazil is is pretty much exactly the same as Ifa with the, uh, a few more Orishas added. Santeria in Cuba is almost exactly the same. It's often in Yoruba, and then they have uh, saints syncretized. Um, Umbanda is a, another um, form of the Brazilian where some there's some Orishas in there mixed with a sort of 18th century spiritism, which is interesting. And Voodoo in Haiti uh, came more from the uh, Benin and um, Cameroon area now, and it's very similar mm-hmm. but a little different, a few different Orishas. So now the the Orishas or the deities um, are uh, are they the ones that we uh, most commonly know? You know, Yamaya, Oya, uh, Oshun, or am I talking a different uh, a different spirituality? Um, or these no, the those, deities those within the Ifa? Orishas, but it's kind of important to understand that in Ifa, there's uh, really only one uh, creator. 
that is overarching and overseeing all the Orishas. And they don't think of the, and that's Olodumare, and they don't think of Olodumare as any kind of, you know, human or man or woman, or Olodumare is just the, um, the energy, the overall intelligent energy behind creation. So the Orishas are the intermediaries between Olodumare and humans because obviously Olodumare is, is, you know, too busy and uh, not directly interested in humans. So the Orishas become our intermediaries. And the Orishas were, were historical persons uh, in, in the history of the Yoruba people, and then they ascended to divinity after their death in the distant past, but they are also natural elements, like Oshun is the river. So the goddess and nature are the same thing, even though they are, you know, humans and nature are the same thing in this sort of complex idea that they are both. And then each one has its own area that it, uh, it its energy r- rules and represents. So Oshun, the river, is in charge of love and eroticism. Uh, Yemoja, the ocean, is prosperity and motherhood, etc. Okay. And there are male and female deities of equal power, or wishes of equal power, in their own uh, arenas. Well, and here's one I have to say I'd never heard before. Uh, I mean, you're teaching me some stuff tonight, Marsha. Uh, and uh, uh, how do you pronounce N-E-N-E, the Mother Earth? How, how do you say her name? Nene. Nene, okay. Um, uh-huh. So she is uh, she is Mother Earth. I had not uh, I had not heard of her before. Uh, but Shango, he's uh, one of the major male uh, uh, deities in uh, Ifa uh, and in Ogun. Yes, is, is Shango, thunder, male? lightning, and fire, and he is a king and a judge, uh, and so he's kind of in charge of the realm of of justice, but also that very hot male sexual energy is Shango also. Okay. Fire. So did that? Did that? Uh, you know, were, were you? Um, uh, invoking him uh, uh, often that uh, that that you struck up this relationship with your uh, your Reuben lover. How did that all come to be? You have to give us the dirt. So all of the Orishas, besides being you know these historical personages that are now deities and being a natural element, they all are within us. So all those energies are within us, and uh, the practitioners say there are at least 400 Orishas. There might be more. So we're working with these major ones, but there are, you know, many more that are out there. Uh, so mm-hmm. since they're in us, all these energies are in us, we're, we're complex humans, and there will be one energy that dominates and, and tends to run the show within us, and that, that Orisha is called your head, right? So my teacher's head was Shango. Okay. So that was his dominant energy. Now, when you go into ceremony, and um, what would precede a ceremony would be a divination. So you go to your babalao, you ask for a divination, they throw these cowrie shells, and they read them much in the way that, say, we would um, the I Ching. You know, they're reading mm-hmm. whether the mm-hmm. cleft side is up or the stomach is up, and that correlates to a spiritual text called the Odu. 
and they would read the shells you throw and say, you know, these energies of out of are out of balance. You need more of something. And then the, then you would commission a ceremony that brings that energy up in you. And the ultimate I goal see. is for us to have facility between all these different energies so we can use them as we need them in life. Right? Do we I need see. the warrior? Do we need the lover? Uh, we need right. to be able to bring it forward. Yeah, to access so that, it. That's the technology. So, so Marcia, so these, are, you you know, the, these are psychological archetypes, much like uh, Jung talks about, only preceding mm-hmm. Jung by, uh, you know, several thousand years and um, a very experiential, uh, you know, way of embodying them. So, so how what led you down this path? Um, you know, did you stumble into it? You know, was it some sort of divine serendipity, or was it with focused intention? I mean, how did you how did you go there, and how long did you stay there? And um, you know, in 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 the love relationship, uh, tell us more about that. So I was already studying with the Native American medicine man, so I, you know, had kind of embarked on this this spiritual path. And then I was living in Los Angeles, and it was at the time of the Rodney King riots, and the city was basically on fire. And I was thinking it's that having been studying this Native American thing and seeing how embracing the traditional indigenous religion was making them more empowered, uh, in the world, and thinking, well, the, we really have to heal this racism. Uh, I think it would help if the Africans got in touch with whatever their indigenous religion was, and they must have one. And I had no idea really what it was at that point, but thinking, you know, maybe that would help. That would be a good thing. I'd like to learn more about that. And then a week later, I got a flyer in the mail for this workshop ceremony with this Babalao who had arrived just arrived in L.A. He had been, uh, he was from Nigeria, had been living in New York, had just moved to L.A. So uh, I went to that workshop. That was my first introduction to it, and it was really kind of overwhelming and confusing uh, to me. And I didn't really think about it much after that. And then a year later he showed up because we were doing a a vigil, 24-hour vigil for the healing of the city uh, on the first anniversary of the riots. And he ended up being one of the uh, presenters in that. I was making a documentary of it, so I had to talk to him about what he did to be able to explain it in the documentary. And that got me really interested. Once I really was looking into it, what it is and how it works, then I started to study, study the drumming, study the dance and the mythology with him. I see. I was deeply involved in it for 12 years. And I'm really still, I love the religion, and I, I, you know, am still very, very interested in it and use it in my life. So um, are there, do they have any um, holy days that we would recognize, uh, you know, that ever cross the Western, you know, Judeo-Christian, Abrahamic, uh, you know, spiritual person's uh, psyche, you know, do we ever, uh, because, I mean, this Kwanzaa wouldn't count, I don't think. Um, No, uh, I know Kwanzaa (laughs) is a pretty contemporary construct. In in Nigeria, they do, but it's it's kind of regional. Like um, there's Oshun State and Ogun State, and in August, Oshun State has a big river festival. It I haven't seen it translate over here. And then 
certain arishas are for certain days of the week, which I can't really remember, but like if Saturday is Shango Day and, you know, uh, like that. But okay. Not not so much. Uh, not so much. So so you're so you're in a position where you're doing your documentary and this is where you you met your can, can we give him a name so that we can refer Oba. to him uh, Oba 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 okay yeah. so Okay, so Oba, um, uh, so you guys, you guys uh, fall in love or in sex, one or the other, a little bit of both, and uh, but well, he's but he's 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 married. You're free, um, but you said this uh, yeah, Ifa is is uh, the Yoruban culture is polygamous though, right? And it wasn't like right away. I had been um, involved with the studying and the ceremonies and the religion for two years before, you know, I became involved in a romantic relationship. So I had uh, been observing everything that was going on. And he, you know, he did have a American wife, a legal American wife. And, but, you know, he talked about that polygamy in Yoruba culture. And I could see that his relationship with his wife was very dysfunctional. And there's, he, you know, talked about these, the origins of polygamy and this rule that, uh, you know, that men could not divorce women. Only women could divorce men, which, you know, keeps the women protected from being abandoned. So, but what they do when then a relationship goes uh, sideways is add another wife to the mix. I see. And I could see that his legal wife was not was not open to this at all and that the relationship was very dysfunctional. So it was a thing that happened kind of slowly over time and then we were deeply involved. I see. I see. And and that's and 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 from you know from the materials you sent me it was it from there, you know, heaven to Oh, I mean, I hate to use these these expressions, but you know, being the other woman, so to speak, um, is was that when you know learning about all the shadow stuff came up for you? Well, um, at some point, I learned I wasn't the only other woman, which is another ah. part of the story. But the okay. the whole thing of the shadow material is very very important in the religion because the. Uh, uh, Orisha of the trickster, Eshu or Elegba, is the really probably the most important Orisha, and he's always called first in every ceremony. And he lives behind our head, and he pushes us to do self-sabotaging things. And when we, in ceremony, call him out with chants and offerings, and we put him in front of us and see him and honor him, then he becomes the messenger to all the other Arishas, and he's the key in helping oh. us access all of our energies. So that you know, is very, very important in the religion. Now, uh, the way that Eshu is portrayed, the image of Eshu, is that he has goat horns, that he has hooves, a tail, sometimes he has a pitchfork, his colors are red and black, all the Arishas have their own colors. So this is where the Christian missionaries started to project the idea of the devil, onto Eshu, ah. who is not evil. He is our shadow in the very Jungian sense. He's hiding behind us where we can't see him. So so this was what was really interesting about the situation to me is that then my life, our lives of everyone who was practicing, started to parallel 
these stories of the of the myth and the uh trickster was very very present and so sometimes you didn't know if you were you know being ruled by the trickster or being ruled by Oshun right is this love and neuroticism or is this me sabotaging myself so yeah cuz you could yeah i mean which one is it you know cuz it feels like it could be either one um so so is the idea if you placate or make offerings to uh the trickster um can you um not have to go down that shadow path or or are we all destined oh, no, to, no, to no, make no. that That's journey how it works. <laughs> so it's it's honoring him giving him things that he likes, but once you know in the ceremony, what he's going to do is he's going to show you your shadow. It's going to be in your face, and you're and that's your opportunity to learn from it. So there's a would always there would be misunderstandings when people would be have a divination and and then all, almost always the first thing that comes up is that you need a ceremony to um, issue because really we can't do the other work until we acknowledge our shadow. So that's almost right. the first ceremony, and so then people would have this ceremony, and then, you know, we would explain it very thoroughly, but then they would call the next day and say, hey, I just paid for the ceremony, and today everything went wrong. My life, my wife left me. I lost my job. You know, I wrecked my car. And then, well, that's that's a shoe. You know, he's showing yeah, they you didn't, they didn't, what's not they working. They didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it playing out. Well, you know, it sounds like you're talking about, you know, kind of universal truths in a way. I mean, the Greeks had on the walls of, of the temples, know yourself, you know. Um, it's In a way, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's about this self-reflection, uh, being able to uh, know that shadow side of you, don't don't you think? Well, yes, and you can't really know it until you, you know, make some serious mistakes. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's... absolutely. <laughs> You, you you have to live life. You have to, um, you know, uh, have challenges. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you have to, you know, you have to stumble and pick yourself up, and um, you know, just learn from. Well, you know, when I've come to think of these things as gifts, you know, because even though while you're going through them, they're pretty difficult and they're pretty hard. When you come out the other end, um, sometimes you can look back and see um, what a wonderful opportunity it was, and it may have even and afforded you, you know, not just wisdom, but maybe even opportunities that uh, uh, you couldn't see when you were going through the suffering. <laughs> right, and they're they're powerful teachings. And, right, you know, right. Eshu is a great, great teacher. Not so right. fun, often messy, but... Well, life is messy. I mean, you know, I think we, yeah. I, I think we have to, I think we have to really just be honest and candid about that. Life is messy, um, and, and this idea that it's, uh, you know, we're going to lead, lead, lead these cookie cutter lives is, you know, really kind of naive and absurd. But would you say? Let me ask you about Oba. Um, would you say um, he abused his power as a spiritual leader? Uh, I mean, because it sounds like he was a womanizer. Um, you know, what about his, you know, his poor wife? But yet she was choosing to be the victim, kind of, in this, if she was. Um, I mean, how do you feel about all of that looking back on it now? Well, yes, I do think that he abused his powers as a spiritual leader, and that's something that's not particular to Ifa. We see it in the Catholic priests sure. and evangelicals and Zen masters and, and everywhere. And 
I think the main abuse to me was dishonesty, this mm-hmm. uh, keeping uh, secrets about you know what is going on so you don't have to take responsibility for it. Uh, so you know in that way, yes. Um, I think I have responsibility in it too. I was just so dazzled and entranced with the the beauty and the depth of the religion and so confused about the extreme culture gap. And, you know, he's like the only informant that I have that I mm-hmm. didn't recognize that I was in, a, in an abusive relationship when I should have. Oh, um, well, yeah, he had incredible, and also, he had I mean, incredible power over these, you. Right, and these ceremonies are so so powerful, and there's so much of this uh, love flowing, this, like, energy of this, you know, spiritual love flowing through everything that it's really was really easy for me at least to confuse that with personal love. And I think that's right. what kind of makes it easy for spiritual leaders to exploit people is that it is right. easily confused. And you know, and I don't think I was a, a victim. I think on some subconscious level I chose the adventure so that I could learn to recognize my shadow and learn the difference between unconditional spiritual love and authentic personal love. So do you think he, um, you know, do you think he had a sense of entitlement or do you think he had any regret about, um, you know, these multiple partners or did he just chalk it up to, oh, well, polygamy is okay in in this spirituality? Well, um, I think in the the denouement of the book you see how how the Orishas take care of this problem. Uh, it was really um it was he was forced to look at his own shadow behavior um by circumstances so um yeah it was it was interesting for everybody involved so let me ask you marcia um how uh, you know aside from you know picking up your book or um you know some of the other uh, you know books out there on the uh ifa um I, I am trying to think of the name of a, a, a you know a black woman in the goddess movement who I bet writes about this too, uh, but her uh, name is L- not coming Louisa to me right now. Louisa Tesh. Louisa Tesh. Yeah, that yeah. would probably be another good source, you know, for somebody who um, wants to know uh, more about the Ifa, you know, your stuff, her stuff. Um, you know, uh, is, is it easy to find a group, you know, practicing this, or uh, is it is it rather difficult? I, I mean, is it un- really underground, or are they out there, or what? Mm. I think it's a little bit difficult. Uh, in the... Uh, if you're in a city where there's a big Nigerian community, I think it would be not so difficult that there are Babalaos in, you know, you find them in Los Angeles, in Oakland, in uh, Atlanta, Baltimore, probably. Um, in, and, you know, those in those areas. But there's, it's not, you know, there's not a lot uh, all over the place. So it's still a little bit, you'd have to really look for it, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, I don't know. I, I know what a bad job Hollywood does of depicting a lot of things. You know, oftentimes they'll show these, what I assume is something like a Yoruban religion, and, you know, they show them, you know, sacrificing chickens or, uh, you know, it always has has this um, occult 
undercurrent, you know, uh, of, well, they, they of do evil or chickens. I mean, that that does happen, and it's a very spiritual thing where the chickens are prayed over, and the chicken is taking a message, you know, asking Oludumare for uh, a healing for certain people. So that does happen. Um, it's you know, and then the chicken's eaten usually, so it's you know better than buying it at Kentucky Fried Chicken. But um, mm-hmm. but yes, I think Hollywood does make it very sensational. But you know, you really yeah. it, it it's something. That once you understand it, it's all very positive. It's all about yeah. affirmations and and about moving this energy and bal- and our human complexity and balancing all the energies within us. Well, and, and uh, I, I thought it was really positive when you were describing um, its impact on you. You, you said uh, it was a, a visceral, physical practice that you felt it connected you with your body, your sexuality, your complexity, your spirit, the earth. It inco- it compels me to dance joyfully. I mean, that's a wonderful recommendation. Well, and um, that's the way I feel. And also, it's quite sophisticated as is Native American religion, about uh, the quantum physics aspect of it. Like, they all recognize that we're not solid. We're we're energy moving. We're the vibration of electrons. And that energy, that vibration is impacted by other uh, vibration. And there are these are ancient sacred uh, rhythms that help us realign ourselves uh, electrically. You know, mm-hmm. So it's, it's like there's a lot behind it. And also that it's not just a simple, you know, this is good, this is evil, choose one. It challenges us to look at, our, you know, not like it's all going to be great roses and rainbows, but that life is complex. We need to look at our weaknesses, understand our complexity, where is our shadow, where are our strengths. Um, and, you know, to me that's a sophisticated approach. Okay. Well, and did did you work with a particular uh, Orisha, um, you know, uh, more than others? I mean, did one become your uh, your prime primary god or goddess? Well, the the one that I I think I have the deepest connection with is Oya, who is the wind or the cyclone or the tornado, and she's feminine leadership, feminine fury, and the truth. So she can be destructive. She carries a sword that's like to cut through all the mm-hmm. obstacles to get to the truth. And she manifests as the breath and uh, lives in the cemetery so she can help people cross over at the time of death. Mm. She like, Her colors that's are like deep purple. She likes eggplant. And she was married to Shango, and she always told him where to throw the thunderbolts. But when they got divorced, because he ran off with uh, Oshun, uh, they still have to work together. So, <laughs> isn't that funny? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, talk about uh, t- testing your limits there. Um, so I- I'm curious if I mean, is there like a, uh, are there like websites people can go to to maybe find? Uh, groups in their area or, um, you know, to, to find out if there are things, you know, I, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say um, is, you know, or if you, if you can find a group or they open to, uh, to strangers, I mean, can you just like show up at a ritual or do you have to be invited or vetted in some way? I think you would have to be invited and, uh, 
you know, you'd have to express interest and then show up and show that you're serious. Um, so, yeah, you, 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 you know, you'd have to. Uh, well, and, and I wonder, I, I wonder too. You know, with, when people go to Wiccan rituals, you know, the people, the Wiccans uh, generally don't like observers. You know, they they prefer not to have people come and just watch because they don't feel like they're there to put on a show, so to speak. So there's usually some element of participation required. You know, um, I, I'm wondering. You know, because I've never been to one of these rituals i've only uh seen little glimpses of them at um you know miriam's temple in new orleans or things i've seen on tv what would somebody uh i mean i know you've talked about the drumming and the dancing i mean if you did go to one of these rituals i mean would you have to get up and dance and move or i mean can you you know just sit there and observe i mean what is it like to go to your first ritual well, I mean, you're you're correct that there is no audience. You're you know, if you're there, you're in the ritual. Um, I went in Brazil. They seem to be used to tourists kind of observing, and I went to a couple of ceremonies there, where we started out as you know tourist observers, but by the end, they had really drawn us in. And yes, dancing is primary the primary way that you participate, and then um, making of offerings um, also. Like you may be uh, told in advance to what to bring, like for Yemoja, it might be um, silver coins or blue and white flowers, uh, Oya, the eggplant. I went to one in Brazil for um, Babaluaye or Omolu, and it was popcorn. He, he likes popcorn. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so in that way, you you know you participate, and almost always at the end of these things, there's. Um, uh, uh, food. Uh, so there's been fruit on the altar or alcohol on the altar, um, and um, you know, at, at the end of the ceremony, you consume it. I see. Okay. Okay. Uh, is it is it like um, you know, with when you go to a you know a Kali ritual, you know, a Hindu ritual, uh, the food is all blessed, so it's like taking in. Uh, I forget, I think it's called prana or something. It's like taking in the blessed uh, essence of the deity. Is it, is it anything at all like that? Yes. The, the, you know, the food has been in the room during the whole ritual, so it's absorbed all the the energy that has been flying around. And, yeah, then you embody it. Okay. Um, and, and I guess I wonder, you know, there's not a sense of, uh, I mean, you know, there's a, uh, you know, we hear in the goddess community sometimes, you know, that Native Americans, uh, you know, resent, you know, white people sort of, um, you know, co-opting their spirituality, you know. I remember when I first started this, uh, you know, I heard stuff like, oh, well, you know, you you shouldn't be having some Egyptian goddess as your your main goddess because you're a, you're a white woman. Um, is is there any of that that maybe uh, uh, somebody who's not of African descent may encounter that uh, um, you know it they're they're sort of out of place there or something or is it uh, welcoming of of anyone sincerely interested in the spirituality? Well, my experience was that it's welcoming of everybody who's really interested, and the teachers that I had were very clear 
that race has nothing to do with it. And besides, Oba, I had a Cuban teacher, and then the, in Brazil I went to a, a female Babalao called uh, Mai de Santos. And, uh, you know, yeah, no, there was no question of, about me being white. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so uh, I have a few minutes before the, uh, you know, my next guest pops up on the switchboard. I'm. Uh, I, I want to make sure. Uh, I mean, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to, you know, a point you wanted to make sure you wanted to make that maybe I haven't thought to ask? Well, the different Orishas. Each Orisha has its own. Uh, song, its own dance, its own drumming rhythm, its colors, its its offering, and um, it, as an adjunct to my book, I have recordings of some of the chants and rhythms that um, I'm you know, I was able to collect, and those are available on iTunes. So if you have the book and you're reading along, and I'm talking about. Uh, you know, Game Munja, like that beautiful Lane Redmond one you played. I have uh, some from, you know, people I worked with for Game Munja, Oshun, Eshu, uh, Shango, Ogun. Uh, so, and some of the um, the rhythm that calls in all 400 Orishas and that kind of thing. And so you can uh, you can download those from iTunes. Uh, I see. Okay, that sounds that sounds exciting. So, uh, uh, what are they? Is if they if someone doesn't have your book and they want to go to iTunes, I mean, what would uh, what, what are the key words? What do they look up? Uh, uh, do you recall? Honey in the River hand? soundtrack. Yeah, oh, Honey in okay. the River soundtrack okay. on uh, okay. iTunes okay. or Amazon Music. Very cool. So, can you recall any particular, uh, you know, ritual? Any, uh, you know, magical thing happening? I mean, uh, or, uh, you know, I don't know any any kind of interaction with deity, you know, through dreams or trance or anything like that. You might want to share. Well, as we at one point we traveled around and did ceremonies. So I saw a ceremony with quite a few different groups of people and it was not uncommon to have very sort of striking miracles where someone would come in in a wheelchair and at some point during the ceremony stand up and start dancing and often have people forget to forget their canes you know they came in with a cane and then they would walk out without it and then the next day call and say oh i forgot my cane um those kinds of things happened a lot um I, you know, I enjoyed the dancing and the color of the ceremony so much myself. Like, it, it always, to me, you always leave feeling so uplifted and energized, even though the ceremony might go on late, late into the night. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, the power is definitely there. So so let me ask you this. I'm I'm curious. I mean like if well if if you're a Christian, you know, you go to church on Sunday. If you're a Jew, you go to church on Saturday, I guess, or Shabbat on Friday night. And um, you know, if you're a Wiccan, you follow the wheel of the year. Um, is there like a particular thing you do if you're well, what do you what do you call yourself? What do, do the practitioners call themselves? Practitioners so you know is this uh, would they gather together weekly monthly uh only on special holy well, days full moon uh, and f- 
full moon's always a big ceremony. Uh, new moon is, a, you know, usually a ceremony. Also, the equinoxes and solstices. And uh, one, when you're talking about ceremonies, one that I particularly loved is this ceremony called Iwosan. That's about the the tastes of life, and that would be done on all those occasions. The the equinoxes and solstices, and then any life occasion like a wedding or a funeral or a naming ceremony for a baby or um, you know some important day that when the community gathers. This iwosan, there's on the altar all these little white bowls, and one of them has salt, and one has honey, and one has hot pepper, and one has the bitter cola and water. And during the course of the ceremony, the bowl is passed and each person tastes what's in it as the Babala was talking about that experience, experience salt, experience tears and sweat and our hard work and grief, and then honey, experience the sweetness of nature, experience the spice of life, experience the bitterness. And so it's an embracing of this com- the complexity of our experience Experiences to me much like a, a Buddhist idea that you're not judging one experience as better than the other or saying life should only be honey. It's like right. we're going to experience all these flavors. Life has many flavors and and we taste them all. And uh, okay. I really love that. I thought that's quite beautiful. Well, well, this has been fascinating, and and I'm so glad you uh, got back in touch with me to tell me about this uh, this new journey you took. Um, so I guess as uh, we come to a close here, Marcia, uh, give us your website or uh, any other contact information uh, in case listeners uh, where you can get your book. You know the standard stuff so that uh, listeners can find you uh, should they want to pursue this. Okay, so uh, the book's on Amazon, uh, or you can have your local independent bookstore order it, Honey in the River by Marcia Scarborough. And then the music is available on iTunes or Amazon Music. I, I think even Spotify and CD Baby and some of those, the Honey in the River soundtrack. My website is www.marciascarborough.com, M-A-R-S-H-A. S C A R B R O U G H. Um, I would love to hear from any readers. Okay. Well, thank you, Marcia, and I'm I'm so glad you found something that uh, has brought you so much joy on so many levels. And uh, you know, may you continue to uh, revel in, uh, in 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 your well, it's not newfound, uh, but uh, you know this you know, this new journey of yours, uh, you know, doing this IFA spirituality. Very cool stuff. Well, thank you, Karen, and it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. Okay. Well, um, have a wonderful holiday, and, uh, you know, keep in touch. Let me know uh, what uh, what you get into next, and uh, uh, who knows, well, you'll maybe find yourself back here again. <laughs> I hope so, and I hope our, our paths cross. Okay. Thank you, thank you, Marcia, for coming on the show tonight and uh, sharing this uh, with listeners. I appreciate it. Good night. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Um, well, I hope you enjoyed that and found it as fascinating as I did. And uh, I see my next guest uh, is on the switchboard. Uh, Angie Buchanan is here, and I'm going to say hello, Angie. Hi, Karen. Good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, I don't see Phyllis yet uh, on the switchboard. Uh, I'm a little worried that maybe she forgot us tonight. Um, you have have any idea if have you been in touch with her? Or? I don't. I haven't. I haven't been in touch with her. Um, okay. Well, you know what? We'll just have to do this ourselves, and I think we can. <laughs> All right. Um, um, so let let me. Uh, it's been a while since you've been with me. Uh, so let me just uh, refresh listeners uh, ab- about you a bit, Angie, and uh, that'll also give Phyllis uh, a little bit of time in case maybe she thought she was supposed to call in at seven. Uh, you know, buy her a few minutes here to uh, you know to get on the switchboard. Uh, but uh, dear listeners, we are about to have a wonderful conversation about the Parliament with the Reverend Angie Buchanan. She is the founder and director of Earth Traditions and of Gaia's Womb, an interfaith spirituality group uh, that's been producing women's spiritual retreats for over 15 years. Uh, In 2002, she was elected to the Board of Trustees for the Council for a Parliament of the World's Religions and held the Office of Secretary on the Executive Committee from 07 to 09. Uh, In addition to the Parliament, she was involved with a number of organizations that encourage interfaith dialogue and promote peace among the world's religions, including the Lady Liberty League, uh, for which she served as public relations director for a decade, uh, Women for International Peace and Arbitration, and our Freedom Coalition. Uh, She is the instructor for Introduction to Interfaith at Cherry Hill Seminary for four years. She's been a religious freedom activist and an advocate for the protection and safeguarding of First Amendment since the 70s. She was instrumental in securing the pinnacle symbol for use as a religious symbol on the headstones and grave markers of deceased pagan veterans. She's a spiritual advisor for pagan students at the University of Chicago. And you know what? She was uh, quite a mover and shaker at this year's uh, Council for the Parliament of World Religions, which uh, is our topic tonight. Um, What an incredible parliament. I mean, uh, I can't think of a better way to start the conversation. I'm really glad to hear you say that, Karen. It, it just warms my heart when I, I hear people who have attended this event for the first time, um, you know, have such a wonderful experience with it. Well, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I don't think I realized it was going to be so overwhelming, so inspiring. Uh, I mean, it was it was probably one of the most meaningful things I've done in a really long time, and I'm so glad I did it. But it having been my first one, um, I don't really have much to compare it to. Um, wasn't there like about 10,000 people in attendance at this one? And how, how did, does that compare to the last several that um, you know that, that <clears throat> happened? Do you do you happen to know? Um, yes, there were uh, just a few of uh, 10,000 people there. The previous parliament, uh, 1993, I think, brought almost 8,000, um, and then it, it fluctuated between eight and 9,000. This uh, particular parliament was the uh, largest. 
that we've had. Okay. Um, and, you know, uh, every everyone I spoke to who did not attend, and they said, so where was it? And I said, Salt Lake City. They said, why was it held at Salt Lake City? Is there a story <laughs> there by any chance? <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, we we ask for different to give us um, requests for proposal, and Salt Lake uh, saw an opportunity to bring some diversity as well as some tourism, and they certainly had the facility. So we were, well, it, we it, were fortunate to, no, to be able to accept their um, their gracious invitation to host us. Well, I love Salt Lake City. I, I have to tell you, uh, again, I went there with no particular expectation. I mean, I didn't know much about it other than uh, it was, you know, they had beautiful landscapes. It was going to have lots of Mormons there. Uh, but, you know, other than that, that's about all I knew about Salt Lake City. Oh, and dinosaur bones, you know. I mean, that's <laughs> that's uh, uh, what I knew. And um, I came away, uh, I mean, the people were so nice. I mean, just everywhere. I mean, just blew you away nice. Uh, I mean, after living in L.A., I mean, it was, uh, I was actually saying to Roy, gee, I wonder if we could live here. <laughs> Um, and it was funny, too, because, you know, here, everywhere you go, they have the bee motif. Now, I know their bee motif, their, the meaning behind it is different. I think it's about being an industrious team worker and team player. But I'm looking at this bee motif on all the sidewalks, and I'm thinking goddess, the Melissa, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, and everywhere you go, you know, so there she kind of is, in, uh, you know, in, in hidden in plain sight. But uh, uh, it was a lovely facility, and um, it was it was just a really nice experience. My only complaint was uh, going their strange liquor laws, because uh, we went into an olive garden and we wanted to get a drink. And they don't let you get an alcoholic drink unless you buy a, a meal. And then even when you do, they don't put more, even like an, in a big Mai Tai, with which I ordered, they only let you put uh, a, in, an ounce of alcohol in the whole drink. Um, so I thought that was that was pretty strange, but, you know... It, it you know it is a city dominated by you know religion I guess to a certain extent they have their influence there. Yeah, I I didn't um I didn't run into any of the the alcohol problems so this is news <laughs> to me. Thanks for thanks for sharing. <laughs> well well you know that was one of those little quirks. Well you were I'm sure you were probably up to your eyes in alligators from the moment your eyes opened in the morning to the moment. Uh, it closed at night. It was probably an exhausting uh, experience for you. Um, I mean, exponentially, uh, there was no t- probably no time for any of that. But uh, you, you know, the um, the only time I I had ever uh, heard much about the Parliament and pagans was when Lady Olivia Robertson from um, Fellowship of Isis was on the show. Um, oh, maybe eight years ago, and she was talking about how she was getting ready to go again, and but her first experience, she actually had death threats, and uh, but but then I think the next time she went, it was totally different, and I, uh, you know, I just I just found everyone so welcoming, and it felt like a place that was really walking its talk about. 
um, you know, tolerance and diversity and interface. Um, was it was it as good as it seemed? I mean, it, 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 I mean, maybe that's an unfair question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it just felt to me that it didn't matter, God, goddess, whatever. Everybody was really there uh, for the, especially it, it felt like the social justice um, theme that permeated uh, the parliament, which was, I think, um, the, uh, the heart of humanity or something. I think that was the topic, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I think what I'd like to say with that, Karen, is um, there are a lot of us that have worked really hard to make sure that um, the the pagan presence there has been acknowledged and um, included and woven in amongst uh, the events and, and um the opportunities were were there to be um, inclusive for us to participate. In 1993, uh, we made sort of our first appearance. In 99, there were just a few of uh, the pagans that went. In 2004, we, we had quite a, a bit more of an appearance in Barcelona. Uh, we did some programming which was wonderful, but we were actually told by the city of Barcelona that there weren't any pagans uh, there to, for them to invite or to include. Andres Corbin Arson is one of the board members currently on the parliament, and at that time in 2004, because he's, he's bilingual, he had some contacts in Barcelona, and we were able to bring 60-plus Pagans into the parliament, shocking the government of Barcelona, and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it was continued in 2009 in Australia with a large showing of Australian pagans as well as a, um, a group of, of us from the United States and from Europe. In this most recent event, though, we had a couple of hundred pagans show up. And we had a, a presence in the programming that was statistically weighted. Uh, there were so many of us that were doing morning observances, that were having discussions and, and were included on panels, that were giving lectures. And I think that the Women's Assembly was good for, for highlighting that because of the uh, trend toward goddess and, and uh, the divine feminine spirituality that is, is prevalent in a lot of the, the pagan practices. So I felt like we really were showcased in a way that was rich as opposed to um, un, just unusual. In Barcelona, or I'm sorry, in Australia, we had, we had workshops that when we announced what we were doing, the, the overflow out into the hallways was unbelievable. People just flocked to these workshops. We, we had a similar phenomenon happen here for, for many of us when people would read the programming and they would come to the events. Our rooms were packed, and um, it was a really good feeling to actually not only be able to share our points of view on, on specific issues of social justice, uh, and to to contribute from our perspective, but also to to feel supported by the rest of the interfaith community that was there, and 
I always like to say that, in in my opinion, the entire interfaith movement, the, the last thing that it's about is religion. So it, it's about social justice issues. It's about clean water. It's about environmental sustainability. Um, it's about uh, disparity between poverty and wealth. It's it's about these these types of human rights issues that impact all of us, no matter how we choose to worship. And because a number of these particular topics are our religion, we are the people of the earth, we, we have, a, have a, a sacred symbiotic relationship with this planet and with humanity and with life force that runs through everything. And be, because of that, it's particularly important for us to have a voice at the, the table and in these dialogues that are happening. And I feel like we have we have finally sort of broken the ice and been able to uh, spend the time contributing our perspectives as opposed to having to scramble to describe who we are. Right, right. Um, well, I mean, I know for myself, I know uh, with, uh, with so many concurrent sessions happening simultaneously, my biggest fear was when I moderated the panel and gave my talk was that, you know, I would be sitting in this room that held, holds 150 people and maybe I'd be lucky to get 10. Well, the rooms were always packed, you know. Uh, it was it was mm-hmm. sometimes standing room only or close to standing room only, and um, I, I was I, I was just I was so thrilled uh, because every other one I went to as well, you know, um, it was was the same way. So um, you know, maybe it's, it's you think it's because we're the new kid on the block, you know, uh, you know, people are really interested to see uh, what we're about and dispel the disinformation or uh, any thoughts well, on that? Yeah, I th- I think that it it is partially. I think it it used to be because we were new and novel. Um, and and I don't know that we may be the newest kids on the block, but I think we've moved just a, a little bit beyond being the new kids on the block. But even more than the the novelty of us, I like to think that it's simply because we make sense. And uh, we're very practical. We're very grounded. Um, and we are able to articulate our position in a way that just makes sense. And it doesn't right. require that anyone give up who they are in order right. Right. To, to hear us and to have that aha moment. Okay. Well, let's um, – let's, uh, Phyllis hasn't uh, shown up on the switchboard yet, so let's talk a little bit about the women's plenary that happened uh, – the women's assembly uh, that, uh, that happened on Thursday. Now, I don't, I don't know how, the sh- how this was all structured. Um, I don't know what – I, I mean, I know you did an, an awful lot, uh, it, it, but I don't know what you did versus what she did or committees or anything like that. So, you know, let's give, you know, just – do to um, you know the the people who made this happen. Um, so please tell me. I, I I know you were you were so incredibly busy for the months and maybe even years leading up to this thing. Um, were you part of uh, you know what brought us this this wonderful women's assembly, um, or was you know Phyllis pr- the primary person for that? Mm-hmm. How, how was it all you know organized? 
Well, first of all, let me say that that this was largely Phyllis's project, and um, she did an amazing job with it. She's uh, she really really worked and. What I can say is that each parliament has this sort of pre-type assembly. Um, in Barcelona, we had an assembly of spiritual leaders, and it it happens for three days prior to the actual parliament event. Um, in Australia, we had an indigenous assembly, and it happened, I think, for a day or two prior to the actual event. And then this women's assembly happened for a day prior to the event and and the the assemblies are also um they're sort of the golden thread that gets woven in through the rest of the programming too so the programming had a women's track on it and Phyllis was largely responsible for bringing together the women who spoke at the assembly and for tailoring it so that it was addressing the the major pillars that were being um, sort of uh, I don't want to say uh, uh, revealed and mm-hmm. at, at the parliament within the programming. So she was the one that had to put the program for the women's assembly together, get the right people in there to talk about things like. Uh, climate change and and um, uh, there were some there were some things there with regard to women's ordination and the women's issues within spiritual communities as well as in society. So putting that together and, and crafting that program and then having to launch a full day of it as well as to place these speakers throughout the the actual um, body of the program was a, f- a phenomenal um, amount of work, and she did an amazing job with it. She had some other uh, people on her task force, and I am really apologizing because I don't remember who they were, but um, I do know that there was a team at least of three that this all sort of rippled out from. Okay. And... Um, you know, I know. Well, you know, for those who might not recognize Phyllis Karat's name, I mean, she's a she's a uh, a well-known Wiccan priestess. Um, uh, you know, and, and and she's known internationally. I mean, she's interviewed in major media, um, uh, and um, it 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 felt incredible to me. I have to say, to see uh, someone of our spirituality having such a primary role and then when the um the major newspaper for the city i forget what it was called i think maybe the salt salt lake city times or something uh, salt lake city sun i i don't remember now um on the front page every day they had um some wonderful write-up usually about some non-christian religion i mean they were really getting into the diversity of it and here you see a quote uh, one of the few quotes uh, you know, and and it, it's Phyllis, and they say you know Wiccan priestess. So it wasn't. I, I mean, we didn't. We weren't in the shadows. Um, we were front and center, and it felt like the sacred feminine was very much front and center. Um, it was. Do you think that was the perspective of everyone, or was I just you know kind of myopic with my tunnel vision? 
Oh, I, I think it, it. you're right. It was not at all. Um, uh, we didn't go quietly. Uh, we weren't con- we weren't concealed behind a curtain. Um, the whole women's issue was right out there. And um, now, whether or not that was appreciated by everybody that looked at it is <laughs> is another talk show. But uh, the fact remains that that this was a body of work um, that started a couple of years ago here in the Chicago area at Rockefeller Chapel on, at the University of Chicago when Phyllis actually launched the the women's initiative for the parliament. And um, there were uh, several hundred people there that evening. The topic was honoring our foremothers, and different women from different religions came to the um, the lectern and spoke about the women that they had been mentored by or that had been significant within their own religious traditions. And that women's task force carried forward to uh, to this large piece of a parliament event that was launched in Salt Lake City. So um, the publicity was there. There were a number of very high-profile women in the world and in the religious communities who were there um, speaking on behalf of of women's human rights issues, that sort of thing, climate. And uh, um, I just I just can't tell you how much I admire this this work that was done and how much of a, a wonderful impact it has had and will continue to have, and how much effort went into bringing it to fruition. Uh, it it uh you know I I uh because I work I uh I I couldn't make it there for the women's assembly and uh that was such a big regret that I that that I missed that. Um I was curious did they uh, you know did they broach the topic of female genital mutilation or uh anything of that nature or uh what were some of the topics? I know you said women's ordination and well Look, for example, Karina Gore was there, and her father is Al Gore, and so the the topic of climate control was was one of the the um, major pillars of the whole event, and so to have her there speaking about that was was important. Um, and and I'm you know I'm sorry to say that I'm sort of drawing a blank right now with regard to the women's assembly because I thought Phyllis was going to be talking about that, but. Um, I don't know if they specifically addressed uh, genital mutilation, but um, they did specifically address uh, women being treated as property and um, the the rape environment and the poverty issues. Um, and it wasn't it. These were not all um, women who were. Uh, mature or experienced in the world, these were also incredibly bright young women who some of them weren't even out of high school who were talking about these issues and and uh, um, really you know contributing to the growth of the future. Okay. All right, so that was Thursday. And then uh, the I, I think it officially kicks off 
uh, Friday and it goes Saturday and Sunday and Monday. So you had um, you, you had you know that, that all of those days with with wonderful topics. Um, did did you have any favorite uh, events that uh, that you attended, Marcia? Uh, Angie, I'm sorry, I'm reading Marsha's oh. name here. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, what, what were your favorites? Oh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> Not I putting you on the spot or I can, anything. I, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I can answer that, Karen. I didn't actually get to attend a lot of things because I was either presenting or participating in a panel or or. Um, something like that, but um, I I really really enjoyed the grandmothers and what I saw of them, the indigenous grandmothers. Um, uh, what a, an amazing group of of women of power and um, strength and beauty, and um, I, I truly enjoyed that. I did get to see about ten minutes of the Masks of the Goddess, which was this fabulous performance um, of aspecting. Uh, different goddess goddesses um, with these elaborate artistic masks, and um, yeah, Lauren, Lauren the, Rain, Lauren Rain's mask. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, and that was a beautiful thing. Um, I, I got to see Stanley Krippner present, and I've admired, been an admirer of his work for a long time uh, with the African religious traditions. So. Um, it, it's and it's always good to see old friends. Wanda Abimbolo was there again with the the he is the the um, elected leader of Yoruba, um, and just some old friends within the Sikh community. I didn't make it to Langar. I'm so sorry I didn't make it to Langar, but. I don't know. Do you want me to explain what that that is for your sure? For your yeah, people? yeah, sure. Go ahead, go ahead. If if uh, you know you think uh, listeners would be interested, but please. Well, I, I think to preface it by saying the Sikh community uh, is is this amazing um, group of, of people who come to the parliament and have been very involved in the, the development of the parliament as an organization. And one of their spiritual traditions is that if they if they see a hungry person, it is a blessing for them to offer food to that person. And so food is a real um, spiritual thing for them. So they have what's called langar, which is a free meal that is served every day at the parliament to whomever wants to come. So you're talking, there were 10,000 people there, so they were probably feeding, even if they were only feeding half of them a day, that was 4,000 meals a day for five days. And, wow. you know, you walk you walk into this room and you remove your shoes and you cover your head and you sit on the floor because everybody's head has to be the same level. No one is higher than another. And you are served this wonderful, delicious, vegetarian meal. And you sit and you talk with people of other faiths and you enjoy their company. And um, I know that they did this in Barcelona and the Barcelona event was nine days long, and they did it every day for nine days for eight thousand people. Um, and the the idea of this is just so hard to wrap your head around, and and the impact that it has. 
where, you know, by the time they were halfway through the week, the cab drivers were refusing to take their money to take them to, to get their supplies. And by the time they would get to the farmer's market, the, the vendors at the farmer's market were giving them vegetables and things because the word was getting out that, you know, wow. they were feeding people for free. And it was it was such a, a heart swell for the six themselves, but also for all of the people that were involved. And I know this year um, they were also doing some things with, um, they were giving away turbans to whoever wanted their head turbaned. They were teaching people, <laughs> you know, how to put a turban on. And um, it's just this amazing sharing. And they were receiving blessings in their tradition because they were sharing this and the joy on the people's faces. And it, it creates this sort of um, camaraderie and, and warmth and connection that, uh, that it's a ripple effect. is meaningful. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, well, I'm just leading into sort of a segue into something else. You asked me about my favorite thing. I don't know if you had a chance to visit the Red Tent. Oh, yeah. Um, yep, I would. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> um, so the I, uh, Red yeah. Tent is a, is a, um, a phenomenon that was uh, in its form that was at the Parliament. It was started by Alyssa Starkweather um, and uh, Ms. Leidenfrost, and I always stumble on Isadora. her first name. Isadora yeah, Leidenfrost. At both lovely people. I've had them at Gaia's womb. And um, they built a red tent there at the Parliament of the World's Religions, and it was beautiful, glorious, and sacred. And um, I actually was part of a workshop that took place in there, the rituals that were happening and just watching the women, you know, sit together and talk together and have this space that was their own was a lovely, lovely effort, and I was so pleased to see that there. And, well, one of my favorite things, too, was Lydia Rules. I think she had a hundred of her goddess icon spirit banners hung in the main hallway between ballrooms. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody could nobody could deny the sacred feminine. She was there in all her many faces. She of 10,000 names. Uh, you know, that was, uh, that was pretty incredible, too. Right. Yeah, she was there in so many different forms. You know, even... Even the men were manifesting, you know, the divine nurturer, the the feminine, you know, feeding people. And, uh, you know, my husband had the the panel um, with sons and lovers of the goddess, and these were uh, pagan men who were talking about their relationship with goddess as um, as the divine partner or the divine parent. And um, it, it was just amazing. And, again, the rooms were just overflowing. And, you know, the difficulty is um, trying to figure out what you're going to go listen to because there's so many (laughs) incredible choices. It feels like cutting off limbs um, when you say, well, no, you know, I'm going to have to choose this over that, you know, because uh, uh, it's just, you know, an embarrassment of riches, I think, um, is the expression, um, or a wealth of riches, uh, How you know, different ways. Uh, to say it, but just so many um, awesome 
um, offerings. It, it was incredible. So, um, so what can you what can you tell us, Angie? I mean, uh, is there any measurable way to know what the you know what the parliament accomplishes? I mean, other than to inspire all of us to come home and walk our talk and. Just you know, share it with other people and the ripple effect. I mean, is there some sort of measurable thing um, that, you know, you find out that, well, the parliament influenced this or that? Or, um, you know, do we ever know those sorts of seeds that get planted? I think that the parliament tries to keep people apprised of what's going on through their newsletter and on their website and that sort of thing. The the parliament um, to this point is, is... is not an activist organization. It's a forum for dialogue, and it's based on the global ethic that came out of the 1993 Parliament, um, which says there will be no peace on earth until there's peace amongst the world's religions and no peace amongst the world's religions until there is dialogue between them. The Parliament provides the forum for that dialogue, and then the people that come and talk to one another are the ones that actually take it to the street, per se. And so... Um, we have seen uh, a lot of um, organizations develop and a lot of projects get get undertaken um, that have come from seeds that were planted at the parliament. A lot of the, the um, compassionate actions organizations and a lot of the, the cleanups that are happening with, with water and um, recycling are are folks that have taken ideas and run with them from conversations and dialogue and and education that they've received at the parliament. So, yes, it it does invoke action. well, and uh, and I I really liked that about it. You know that it it had that that uh, that you know sort of activist or social justice. Uh, thread, and um, I think one of the things that I will never forget, and I can't remember the gentleman's name because I couldn't pronounce it, but, uh, you know, on one of the Saturday night um, uh, main sessions, uh, I forget what they called him now, uh, one gentleman stood up there and said something to the effect of, um, you know, when we pass from this life and, you know, we meet our maker. And I remember who was careful. I forget the word he used. He didn't make, you know, he didn't make uh, deity female or male. Uh, he was careful about that. Uh, mm-hmm. And and but, but, when, but when you're questioned and, you know, your deity asks you where are your wounds and you say, well, I have no wounds, and deity says to you, well, was there nothing in your lifetime worth fighting for? Oh, that that just <laughs> it still it, mm-hmm. it still brings tears to my eyes to you know to hear that. Um, I mean, the, the hair just stood up on the back of my neck and on my arms, and every time I retell it, it still does. Um, it uh, it's so such inspirational people, you know. Um, it was such a shot in the arm, you know, because we hear all the ugliness on TV, you know, if we tune in to make sure we know what's going on. Uh, it, but this felt like something so totally different, you know. I came home feeling like, you know, there's more hope in the world and, um, you know, this paradigm shift is going to happen. And uh, it, it made it so much easier to disregard, you know, the mean and ugly that comes out of the TV box, you know. <laughs> right. 
I, I think that's a that's a really good way to put it. That that it it leaves one with a feeling of hope and it, it's inspiring. And I think that you know, especially for me, I I love to to sort of think of the old saying of um, the wisdom of the one who plants the seeds for the tree whose shade they'll never sit under. And that's our our young people, and our young people are activating, and they are um, making a difference, and they're coming. The, the, The stone has already been dropped in the pond, and the ripples have started, and they may not have reached us completely yet, but we have the news now that the stone has dropped and there's no going back, it's it's coming. The movement is happening. Our young people are involved. They're engaged. They're active. Um, we're, we're doing what we can to support and encourage and inform them, and it's happening, and that's a really powerful place to be. Yeah. So, so what do we know about the next parliament? Do we know anything yet? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> we don't, Everybody's we don't trying anything. to recover. <laughs> We're trying to recover from the last one still. <laughs> right. Yes, um, there like, are, there I, are I, a number of cities that are um, that are under consideration for um, development to to see if if um, they would be interested in hosting, and um, there are a few that are a little further along the track that are trying to make it happen. But we have absolutely no idea where it's going to go. So how does this get financed, Angie? I mean, does the, I mean, because the parliament doesn't strike me as a big, rich organization. I mean, like, how do they rent the Salt Palace? I mean, does some, does do people donate money? Well, a lot of times it's a it's a negotiation that happens with the host city and the parliament, and the the parliament um, sends out a request for a proposal and lets the host cities or the the potential host cities know what it is that is required to host a parliament because there has to be a particular infrastructure in place. I mean there you you can't have a um you can't go to a place that's not going to accommodate the things that this particular event needs in order to accomplish the work that it has to do and so um you have to have a conference center and you have to have breakout rooms and you have to have um, audiovisual equipment and chairs and that sort of thing. So um, the parliament will ne- will negotiate um, with the the um, government structure in the area, with the the chamber of commerce, uh, with those sorts of of um, public uh, departments, in order to be able to hold their parliament there. The Salt Palace may be given to us. Um, as an in-kind donation or as an exchange for us bringing 10,000 people to their city. Right, right, exactly. Because, yeah, every, those people spent a lot of money in those hotels. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I, yeah, And a lot of people yeah, come absolutely. early or stay late and, yeah. and go, you know, and go around as a tourist. 
Yeah, well, we did that. I mean, we we took a break and we went and visited a wonderful church of Mary Magdalene, which was incredible. Uh, they claim to actually have a relic of hers, a bone. Um, and uh, we went to the Natural History Museum and saw all the dinosaur uh, skeletons. I mean, that was incredible too. Uh, it was it was really nice, you know, it, mm-hmm. to uh, the, because and but it was exhausting, you know, being on your feet from ten eight or ten o'clock in the morning to you know ten o'clock at night. I mean, it was brutally exhausting because uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not 20 anymore, but so well worth it. I mean, I I hope to make it to the next one. I mean, it was such a wonderful experience. And that was a big place. The Salt Palace is a big, big place. Yeah, I mean, Torrance. With the the morning observances. I'm sorry, with the morning observances starting at (laughs) 7. And the play was ending at 10 and running the length of what felt like 37 football fields it was it was a long day you know one night i actually i i my you know my my husband you know has all of these injuries and sometimes he has to take vicodin to go to sleep there was actually one night my feet hurt so bad i begged him for one of those vicodin <laughs> from being on my feet all day i was exhausted and you know it, it, and there was one point where we said okay well we're going to choose between this presentation and that presentation they both seem equally good which one's closest to where we're standing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm oh, going to advocate that if we get a, I'm, I'm going to advocate that if we get a venue that size again, that we rent a fleet of golf carts and just. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine the traffic jams? <laughs> yeah, well, there would be that. Maybe we could just run like a trolley circuit or something. You jump on and off. So, really so, uh, so, Angie, would you? Um, is it safe to say? And I mean, and you know, maybe you can say. I don't know, but is it safe to say that perhaps um, you know, goddess advocates like us, pagans, Wiccans, whatever we call ourselves, we call ourselves so many things. Um, do you think um, we have sort of carved our niche there, and you know, will continue to be able to? have a platform to make sure the sacred feminine is always there uh and well represented. I I don't I don't know about carving a niche, but I think that we are certainly um in a position to be welcomed back and to participate and to be included um in a non discriminatory way. Uh I I honestly believe that we're we're part of this and will remain part of it. Well, that's uh, that's that's really good to hear, and I don't know if carving a niche was uh, maybe the right phrase, but um, you know, just to you know, that nobody thinks twice about is the sacred feminine there or not. Of course, she's there. You know, uh, you know that that sort of uh, that sort of idea. Um, I well, think is that there we, any? I, I'm sorry, I didn't. No, no, that. please go ahead. I I think what's interesting is that. Because we have such a different view of the sacred feminine and pagans and, and God, those that follow the goddess spiritualities have such an, a unique perspective 
on that. There are female representatives in the main, mainstream religions who are perhaps viewed as um, more worthy or more holy, but in very few of the mainstream religions is female deified. And, um, you know, it, it is a it is such a unique position. I've heard other religions and the women in those religions talk about the divine feminine, um, but it's it's always something that's out there. It's not something that's manifested within themselves, and there is no there is no eminent. There's only transcendence, and and even that is just human. It's a human woman. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we have such a unique perspective that that women everywhere are hungry to hear. And if for no other reason than that, if we're going to talk about the divine feminine, then those women from other religious traditions are going to have to go to the source to to hear mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what this really is. It's not just right. a, an acknowledgement of women in religion. It is an an embrace of other, you know, whether it's whether you call it deity, whether you just call it another entity, there is a sacredness in she who gives birth, she who is the people maker. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, from the Venus of Willendorf to, to um, today, uh, there is a need for that, and if pagan women can't provide it, I don't know who could provide it any better. The You're education right. I, I, of who and what that is, and what it means, and how it has a direct impact on every single woman. Right, right. I think you're right. And you know what what uh, impressed me too was, um, I mean, I, I mean, I know you do earth traditions, and that's uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure men and women. And I don't know how balanced it is with you know within, among the genders. You know, if 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 you tend to have more women, like so many pagan groups do. But what what I thought was incredible was um, most of the. I mean, in the presentations I was involved in. And some of the others I went to, um, it wasn't like it was just women in the room. You know, there were men there mm-hmm. who really wanted to know about this stuff. And um, uh, there was this one guy who I noticed came to my stuff and uh, 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 some other things that we, we found that we were, you know, there together again. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I'm, uh, I've am i been practicing Buddhism in Oklahoma. And he said, I have to tell you, I'm going to go home and tell my wife, I think we really are pagans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we and, hear that uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that I was, think it's uh, important, I, I, though. I think it's so important to notice, though, and and to acknowledge the fact that men have been seriously cheated and seriously damaged by the removal of the sacred feminine from the world paradigm. Uh, they have suffered as greatly as as we have in a different way um because you know it's it, it's not just men who oppress women it is some men who mm-hmm. oppress women who oppress women and the rest of the men 
Mm-hmm. And right. And I think that the rest of the men are finally saying, okay, we're off balance. The pendulum has swung, and we need to, to find that sacred and divine feminine inside of us, too. Mm-hmm. And to be able to bring this world back into a place where, you know, it we can nurture and we can um, be, be caregivers and we can be um, sharing emotions. And uh, we yeah. don't have to. We don't have to pretend anymore that we're not, that that's not a part yeah. of who we are. And and let that be something that's valued and not ridiculed. Right. Well, um, Angie, I, I, I have so enjoyed uh, talking to you about this. Uh, I think this is one of the, uh, you know, most lengthy conversations I've had since having left the Parliament. Um, and uh, I, I so appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, talking more about this. Um, well, Phyllis must have fallen asleep. We were talking about how Aww. this was going to be so late for her. I bet, uh, I, I, I bet she's uh, tucked away in bed. We will. I will have to email her later. And, uh, uh, but uh, you know, you uh, you carry the torch here. You know, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, talking about the Parliament uh, with me. And I mean, was there anything else um, you maybe wanted to say about it that I haven't thought to ask you about? Um, I, I guess the only thing would be for your listeners that uh, um, if if you would like to know more about the the organization, you can go to parliamentofreligion.org and um, you can sign up for the newsletter. And there's a membership drive going if you'd like to to be a member of the Parliament, and you can investigate the Ambassador Program, which is another wonderful thing that the organization is doing. Um, but I would I would really encourage you to just go take a look at the website and uh, get involved and, and find out exactly what this interface movement is and why it's important to be involved. And um, uh, heal your soul. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, well, I mean, you know, it, there are so many people involved at the Parliament, but I can't imagine that uh, some of the leaders at the Parliament aren't some of the uh, voices on the forefront, you know, calling for sanity uh, with, you know, all the, uh, you know, the fear-mongering out there, you know, that's happening right now. Um, you know, the, the interfaith stuff is going to be what saves us, you know. I, I mean, I can't think of... Uh, you know any other way to say it <laughs> i I certainly agree that it has the potential um to bring peace and yeah uh when when you are um in a group of ten thousand people and your heart and your mind is open to hear what they have to say and you're not feeling threatened uh to give up anything about who you are or what you believe you're you're simply there to dialogue about issues that impact all of us. I, I like to say that interfaith is kind of like this, this little paradigm of uh, islands, and each faith tradition has its island and uh, where, where your customs are known and you're comfortable and the people that you love are there and you have this commonality, but, but there are issues that need to be addressed by everybody on every island, and so we come out onto the bridges to sing and to mm-hmm. dance and to work on this stuff together. And, you know, that's the only way we're going to be able to resolve 
some of these problems, and I just hope that we're not too late. Yeah, and and what a beautiful image, uh, you know, to leave listeners with. Thank you for that. I, I like that, uh, the islands with the bridges and the singing and the dancing. <laughs> it's lovely. Well, um, well, Angie, uh, you know you're always welcome back. Uh, any any uh, topics uh, stirring in your uh, cauldron, uh, and you know you want to come back on the show and chat about? You know the door is always open. Please just uh, pop me an email. Thank you, Karen. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Well, thank you so much, and uh, and have a have a wonderful holiday and uh, a wonderful solstice uh, as well. In in case we don't uh, chat between now and then, you do the same. Good night, Karen. Okay. Good night. Thanks for staying up so late. Bye bye. Well. Uh, we're about to come to the close of tonight's show, and uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing more about the Parliament. It was really an incredible experience, and I hope you'll take uh, some of uh, Angie's advice and um, uh, go take a look at the uh, website for the Council for the Parliament of World Religions. It, uh, it's an important uh, thing going on in the world. And uh, I guess to just close um, uh, for the night, I want to just remind you, um, I'm going to be posting it on my uh, Facebook page uh, for the next couple days. I'll try to keep it near the, near the top. Uh, I have some special holiday offers that I hope listeners uh, may consider uh, when they're uh, out there thinking about um, great gifts to give some of their loved ones. Uh, I have some special prices on my books, um, you know, some bundle prices. If you buy several books, you get some free things like uh, goddess gift cards or maybe a free book. Uh, also, um, uh, you can get a Systrum. Um So anyway, uh, I'll try to post it uh, when I uh, get off the switchboard here uh, and put it on the top of my Facebook page if um uh, you know, if you're interested, uh, for instance, um, holiday uh, special holiday offer number three: purchase all four books for sixty-five dollars and get a six-pack of Goddess gift cards free, uh, or buy Voices of the Sacred Feminine and Goddess Calling and get Walking an Ancient Path free, uh, or then there are uh, just uh, special prices on individual books as well. And as I always say, uh, what we Nurture thrives and what we neglect withers. Uh, If you can uh, spare a few bucks, uh, it would be most appreciative if uh, you could contribute to help me keep uh, the show on the air. And you can do that by going to my website, KarenTate.com. Once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page and uh, just go uh, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page and there's a PayPal button there where you can donate any amount. And while you're there, cruise around the website. There's lots of free stuff. There's meditations. There's uh, videos of classes and talks. Um, you know, it will take you to my YouTube channel. Um, there's, you know, there's lots there that... Um, um, I think is inspiring and uh, nourishing and, uh, you know, maybe something you have yet to hear. And uh, next year I'm going to be doing um, doing something a little bit different. I, uh, you will find more uh, meditations and um, 
uh, and messages, goddess messages uh, written by me, and uh, kind of like ritual on the radio, like I've done before, but uh, just a little bit different. So I hope you enjoy that as well. So um, have a wonderful holiday with uh, with loved ones. Don't work too hard. Uh, try to enjoy yourself and um, be your authentic self. Give yourself that gift. Uh, if you can, try not to allow yourself uh, to be pushed beyond your boundaries and do more than you want to do or think you can do. Um, be happy. Be yourself. Be in gratitude. Be thankful. And... Uh, we will go ahead uh, and close tonight's show uh, with uh, Oshun uh, by Lane Redman in honor of uh, the Orishas and uh, our first guest tonight, Marsha Scarborough. Orayeyeo, orayeyeo, oh, my God, oh, orayeyeo. 